0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. So I'm going to read this. Legalize on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. So, um... The Elgato event. I, I was talking about how much Elgato has been trying to hype up the event they had this week. Um... Clearly, I thought it was a bigger deal than Elgato did. We'll talk about the, uh... In my humble opinion, the train wreck that was the Elgato event, as well as the silver bullet that absolutely, completely and utterly sucked all the air out of the Elgato event. But first, we talk, of course, about... Stories that kind of go into the big picture of things. And although I don't have any horrifyingly big security concern stories, I mean, I could just remind you that Facebook exists if you need your security scare on. Facebook still exists, by the way, and you absolutely should not under any circumstances continue to use them because inevitably... They will steal your data and then leak it out. That's just what Facebook does. All right, there. There's your security scare for for the week. Here's a concerning bit of news for the week, though. Microsoft Edge climbs to the third position in the browser market share. This puts the top three of web browsers used across, as far as I'm aware, the globe with Chrome at the top by a disgusting amount, Safari, and then Microsoft Edge. Chrome sits up there with 65.27% of global usage. Safari sits with 18.34, a lot of that due to iOS, by the way. And then Microsoft Edge sits at 3.4%. And you might be thinking, well, where's Firefox? It's been moved to fourth place with
1: 3.29% Ouch. Ouch. Now, keep in mind here that the new Edge is chromium
0: based it is basically more chrome so you might as well just add that 3.4 percent into chrome's 65.27 percent to create what would that be 68.67 percent yeah i can i can math on the fly i swear since it's all the same, and while we're at it, we have Opera sitting there with 2.19. That is also now Chromium-based, so you might as well just add that in, and that makes at least 70% of all web traffic Google Chrome-powered. Now, for the most part, Edge got to the spot that it's at with a whopping 3% by basically spamming every single Windows user saying... Have you used Chrome yet? Have you used Chrome yet? Have you used Chrome yet? You should use Chrome. Oh
1: my god. Oh my lord. Have you used Chrome yet? It's the bestest thing. You'll be unprotected you don't use Chrome. Oh my god! <sighs> they pretty much got there by just being that obnoxious guy. Just... Uh... It's annoying is what it is. It annoys me that Chrome that Edge has bumped out Firefox solely
0: by being obnoxious about the way they advertise themselves on Windows 10 which is their own platform. You know, while we're on you know, you know
1: we already got the EU looking into frivolous Lawsuits and that sort of thing. Why hasn't the EU launched a. Obnoxious
0: investigation as to whether Microsoft should advertise.
1: Microsoft Edge on the Windows platform as aggressively as they do. Someone in chat says just switch from Firefox to Brave. That doesn't help anything though. I actually have no idea how good Brave is. But that's the thing, right? Firefox. There's nothing wrong
0: with Firefox other than some plugins just don't behave quite as nicely on Firefox as they do on Chrome. And it really just disappoints me that Firefox was only overtaken Because for 28 years straight, I swear it's been
1: that long, Windows has been just spamming. Use Microsoft Edge. You're not productive if you don't use Microsoft Edge.
0: Someone in chat says their issue with Firefox though is it was taking up too much CPU usage. Now that actually could be a big problem. I wonder what the backbone is of Brave. If it actually is their own from the ground up or if it is, or if if also Brave is just Chromium-based. Oh, man. If it actually, if if the Brave browser is in fact just Chromium- It
1: is Chromium-based! Ah! Dang it, this isn't helping! (laughs) Uh, the, the main reason
0: why and, and the, this goes back way 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 back why I have a problem with chromium-based browsers is that the, the primary concern of there being an open web is that there is not a giant monopoly of web browsers and then just all of a sudden because there is a giant monopoly on web browsers in this case google chrome that google just starts making tools that only work with chrome and thus block out everyone else but they can because they have a massive foothold that is the
1: concern with it all and we saw google try to do this a couple years ago so the fact
0: that now another chromium based browser now eeks closer and closer to the top Mmm, the concern rises once again. Let's just shift gears radically over to some rather obnoxious news if you are a fan of the Battlefield franchise. Battlefield 2042 pretty much said they were going to do away, for the most part, their single-player campaign. Instead, they were going to focus all their effort on the multiplayer experience, which you know, more power to them, because let's be honest, if you, go, if you went ahead and you got a Call of Duty or a Battlefield game, you're there for the online experience. You're there for the multiplayer experience. Very few people buy one of these games and think, man, I cannot wait to see the
1: story being told. Yeah, no, you, you, you didn't come for that. You didn't come for that at all. But here's the best part about Battlefield 2042. It has been revealed that despite the fact there
0: is not a focus on the single player mode. In fact, that's being dropped altogether. The training mode. The ability to just practice offline practice, not against any other
1: players. Also requires an internet connection. So let's pretend that the internet goes out in your area. And
0: you're just like, oh, well, I can't play multiplayer with Battlefield 2042. I know.
1: I'll just practice. Nope. You are SOL. Now, as someone who's not really, I'm
0: not a fan of this genre of video game, but I don't hate it either. It's like, look, my first person shooter days were back in Quake, GoldenEye, back when first person shooters were just silly.
1: That and remote minds are the best weapon. Change my mind. You can't. remote minds in, in GoldenEye
0: the stupid shenanigans we've had but I digress the, the shooter ga- the, sh- the shooter genre nowadays is all about quick reflexes and less about doing something really really ridiculous and that's where I, I just lose interest mostly because I want to go out there and do something stupid
1: I want to do something crazy and that's just not available in these sort of games. But I look at the the sort of thing and then say, but I'm not facing anyone else. Why do I have to be connected to the internet? It's not like it's an MMO. Where the entire world is always open to other players. It's a matchmaking multiplayer game. So I just, I don't get it. I don't get why they do this. And what I don't get even more is why so many
0: people are just look at us going, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. That makes sense.
1: How? How does it make sense? It would be like, oh, hey,
0: I'm sorry. My car is down. Thus, I can't use my kitchen in my apartment.
1: It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Oh, well. What more can you do? People are going to have the opinion that they have.
0: Kind of like how Microsoft is going to go ahead and push for more and more things to be shoved up into the cloud, whether they like it or not. Microsoft has revealed Windows 365, the ability to have a PC in the cloud. That you still
1: need a PC to connect to. But it's in the cloud. Does this make sense to you? No. That means your brain is working.
0: So what is the purpose of this because this is clearly not for the average person why would you want a cloud computer
1: and need a computer to connect to it what this i think and again
0: this is what i think the goal is here the goal is for this to replace virtualization
1: systems in the workplace environment So a lot of big companies, what they end up doing
0: is that in order to manage everyone's computers better, they virtualize everyone's computers using massive servers. And then they use a thin client at their desk to connect to the server and their virtual workspace environment. This is done for a number of reasons. One, it's more power efficient when you're talking about... Thousands upon thousands of computers in an office complex. B, it gives the IT people much more space to. Not really much more space. It gives them much more flexibility to control a
1: problem. Like let let let's say Bob Boberson went ahead and ran
0: some ransomware on his system. Well, because it's virtualized, it's very easy for IT to just shut down Bob Boberson's PC and then very quickly restore it to last night's snapshot and then get him back to work without paying anything. You know, hint, hint, numerous companies that have been afflicted by ransomware lately. Restoring from Backup. Who knew it would have been cheap that doing that is much cheaper than paying out $20 million. I, I, <clears throat> the, the, the sheer lack of basic IT knowledge on, on these
1: victims of ransomware just blows me away. It, it really does. But of course, that entire setup I just described requires... A data center, it requires a room of just servers, and it
0: requires staff to man them. Well, what if you want the flexibility of that virtualization that I just described, but no data center and no Eagle and IT lecturing you about how you shouldn't open virus.exe?
1: Well, here you go. Windows 365 is here to save you at least in theory.
0: The cost of this is going to be $31 per user per month. And for that $31, that gets you a, gets you dual virtual CPU cores. So a dual core virtual system, four gigabytes
1: of RAM and 128 gigs of storage. $31 a month and you get a slap in the face,
0: man, if I knew that getting slapped in the face was this cheap, I would have done it sooner. What the heck?
1: I don't know if Microsoft actually like pays attention to what the office space is using
0: nowadays, but... Let me tell you about some of the PCs that the corporate enterprises letting go nowadays.
1: Oh, here we go over to my good buds and we have. Some ultra thin.
0: Small form factor PCs, a lot of 60 of them that is rocking a sixth generation Core i5 quad core, 3.0 gigahertz, eight gigabytes of RAM. Unfortunately, these units have no hard drives in them. Most likely they just connect to a SAN and control the storage that way. But even the drone PCs are quad core, why? For $31 a month, do you not get that? Also, I'm willing to bet that these units right here These good buds are probably going to try and get rid of for $60 a pop.
1: So what sounds better to you? Two months of a virtual system. Or your own PC. Which you'd still need your own PC to access the cloud system. Once again, I want to reiterate, I get that this Windows 365 version is intended
0: for business use. This is clearly, underlying clearly, something that's intended to replace a
1: virtualization environment. But holy cow! Even from a virtualization standpoint this doesn't make a whole lot of sense maybe if I thought about it long enough I would find that
0: it actually does make sense holy cow these these buds
1: also have a metric ton of chromebooks too Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. Those aren't Chromebooks. They're actually Windows 10 things that with the specs of Chromebooks. Oh, I don't know if that's better or worse than a Chromebook. Actually, no, it's better. It's bad, but it's still better. <laughs> now,
0: someone in chat says there's probably a premium package for more cores and more storage. There is. You can actually get all the way down to... In fact, actually, we have an entire list of all the various setups. You can get anywhere from one virtual CPU, two gigabytes of RAM, and 64 gigs of storage. This is intended for frontline workers, call centers, education training, and CRM access. I don't know why you'd want two gigs of RAM in a Windows system. I don't know why you hate yourself quite that much. But if you want about the amount of RAM I'd recommend for a Windows XP machine, you can have it. And it goes all the way up to an
1: eight core system, 32 gigs of RAM and 512 gigabytes of storage. But here's what I love about the tier. The tier, the the top tier
0: one that's, you know, eight cores, 32 gigs of RAM and 512 gigs of storage is intended for software developers, engineers, content creators, and design and engineering
1: workstations virtual cores for an engineering workstation Microsoft have you not been paying attention to the workstation environment
0: first off what's been far more important in the workstation environment lately has
1: been GPU compute that has been a huge push lately even
0: to the point where virtualization servers now actually support up to 300 watt GPUs in them. That is how important GPU compute has been getting. Even the servers are using them. So, why not list it is beyond me. But on top of that, eight virtual cores. I can get 32 virtual cores
1: in one AMD chip without even going to Threadripper. Uh, I just... I really do dislike this. It, it just...
0: The more and more I think about it, the more and more my gears start to turn, the less and less sense it makes. And I'm sure someone who actually works in the virtualization field
1: can go, will actually... This, that, and the other thing in Omen oh Lords. And they might be right. It also could be when they say eight virtual cores, that's not including the threads. I would certainly hope so, to be perfectly honest. But in the end, man. If
0: I was a design and engineering and I needed a workstation. I'm just going to go ahead and actually get a CAD
1: based workstation. An actual physical local one and not deal with the latency. That's just me though. And I'm sure there's
0: people out there to be like, nah, that's... That's dumb. I'd rather the cloud one so I can just have that go render and then come back in four days when the, when the eight CPU cores go ahead and accomplish what a 24-core Threadripper, an
1: entry-level Threadripper, could do in a day. And I still want to restate again, you still need a PC to access your PC! In other Microsoft news, however, Windows 11 will give you
0: 10 whole days to change your mind and revert back to Windows 10 if you want to. That was made official by Microsoft. So when you do get force updated to Windows 11, you have 10 days to go back. So you at least have that going. I I, I should also just like restate That I'm only that there is no official word that eventually Microsoft will force update you from Windows 10 to 11. But
1: they already did that for Windows 7 to 10. You know, it's going to happen again. And it's going to be like, oopsies. I didn't mean to do that. I apologize for being slightly distracted, because I went ahead and opened up the website
0: for uh, for the leasing company. They ha- I'm not even kidding. They're, they have
1: 1,400 Chromebooks sitting over there Holy cow. That is a lot of Chromebooks. Hey, you know what the you bo- know
0: the you know what the you, you know what the, uh, the plus side is? You could use one of those Chromebooks to connect to your real cloud PC that is still underpowered. That's the play right there. Actually, all of these look like they're in pretty rough shape. They probably looks like these all came from schools. Someone in chat asked, hey, do they have anything good there? Uh, the answer is no, not really. Uh, we have uh, some little 11-inch Windows 10 machines with 32 gig SSDs and 2 gigs of RAM. Ooh. And some
1: ARM mystery laptops. That's about it. They have a bunch of uh, desktops, though. And it looks like they're working through a iPad lot. Roughly to the tune of, God, it looks like about 600 iPads. Dang. Wonder if they're in any good shape. Anyway. WhatsApp is entering a beta for
0: iOS that is going to allow it to get disappearing messages. So now it too
1: can Snapchat. Here's my question, though. After everything that's happened in regards to security,
0: does anyone trust the apps of disappearing messages that swear up and down that don't worry? We don't save any of the messages. Trust us. Because you notice, as we all focus more and more towards being privacy-focused, fewer and fewer messaging services actually say, we have disappearing messages.
1: Dristis! Yeah, not many. Also, wasn't WhatsApp, like, controlled by, like,
0: like, some random no-name Chinese company, too, while we're at it? Yeah, that's what I want to trust, to. Totally delete that uh, that thing I was talking about for realsies. Mystery China Company number 87. They seemed like a very trustworthy bunch when I first talked to them. Oh, well. We're going to take a break here when we... Oh, it's Facebook. Oh, even better. Yeah, let's trust Facebook to delete our disappearing messages. That's who owns what WhatsApp. I knew it was like... That's all I could remember was that WhatsApp was owned by some shady company.
1: You're right. It was Facebook. Oh, man. Never
0: mind. I want to go back to the reality when I thought WhatsApp was controlled by a nameless Chinese company. I would actually trust that more than Facebook. We're going to take our break here and we come back. We have all of the Elgato news, the Steam news, and we've got some leaked details about the next generation of Intel CPUs. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. All right, so we have a leaked list of the specs of the next Alder Lake K-series desktop processors. These are the high-performance, the i7s, the or the i9, i7, and i5 version of the Intel chips. This is specifically the 12900K, the 12700K, and the 12600Ks. These are, in fact... Big little chips, which actually makes things a little confusing when you first look at the lists for what these are. So, the 12900K has eight performance cores and eight efficiency cores. The performance cores will have a clock speed of five gigahertz and have a peak clock speed of 5.3 gigahertz using one or two cores. Efficiency-wise, it has 3.7 gigahertz and 3.9 gigahertz on 1 to 4 cores peak on the efficiency cores. What's kind of surprising here is the load on which all of them. Intel has switched to a new method of determining the TDP. Because, well, anyone who has actually measured the power draw of AMD versus Intel chips will realize very, very quickly that
1: the 125 watts they list down is complete BS.
0: So what does this now mean? So PL1 means that's, that it's, it's estimated power load
1: in an idle state. Idle being in massive air quotes.
0: Being that there is, is a load and it's doing some computing. You know, like doing like basic web browser or anything, but the moment you put a real load on it, like say rendering a video or playing a video game or opening up iTunes. Then PL2 comes into play when it actually switches over to the performance cores and starts really drawing power. They will all, in, in power load one state, take 125 watts. And in power load two state, they will take 228 watts. Unfortunately, because of the different standard, there is no good way... to measure it against AMD without, you know, just doing side-by-side benchmarks. Of which I guarantee you, Steve from Gamers Nexus will do it. And then... While he's at it, you'll also fix your insomnia problem. Don't get me wrong. Gamers Nexus is fantastic.
1: As far as the information source goes, but. There's just something about his, his voice that will just lull you away to sleep. The Core i7 will have four efficiency cores
0: and eight performance cores. Performance cores will have a base clock of 4.7 gigahertz and peak of 5 gigahertz. Efficiency cores, 3.6 gigahertz and 3.8 gigahertz boost. And the Core i5 will have four efficiency cores and six performance cores. The performance cores at 4.5 gigahertz, maxing out at 4.9 gigahertz. Efficiency cores, 3.4 gigahertz and 3.6. Boost. Clock. So we see Intel pushing the clock limits very, very hard. Because in the end, that's what you have to do with Intel right now. You are still using an outdated nanometer architecture. I believe these are 10 nanometers. Until we find out that it's 14 plus 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 minus plus times plus. With 10 nanometers thrown in for funsies and then call it 10 nanometers. But again, this is the kind of thing we're going to be dealing with until the new engineering team over at Intel with its new talent
1: under new leadership is able to come up with something better. In the end, we'll just have to wait and see. Although with 200...
0: And 28 TDP. How are you going to cool that? Well TSMC. Believes they have the answer.
1: Ladies and gentlemen. TSMC presents to you. Intra chip. Cooling. The
0: ability to integrate. Liquid cooling. Directly. Into the chip itself. So right now, the way cooling goes in pretty much any silicon chip.
1: Is that you have the actual dye, the part that actually generates the heat. Then you have some
0: kind of interface material, whether it be a thermal paste, if you are cheap Intel or solder, if you're a real chip manufacturer, like Intel is now and AMD since 19, always connecting to what is referred
1: to as the. I'm actually now blanking on the, on the term. There's an actual another piece of metal on top of that. And that's what you normally see when you look at a CPU. It's not the Tim. I am completely blanking. I think it's just called a heat
0: spreader. That's on the top of the CPU. But then you have that heat spreader then connecting to the actual device cooling it, whether it be an air cooling heat sink or the cold plate of a water cooling loop, which then has another layer of a thermal interface material which that in that case is usually your thermal paste that you either put a small bead size amount on there or you just slathered on an entire jar of mayo on it like all those memes
1: on twitter that make every tech youtuber cringe and me I am completely blanking on the on, on the on the name of the uh, of the actual part that goes on the CPU die.
0: When you delid a C- CPU, it's it's the part that pops off that you then replace the thermal interface material between the die and, and this thing. Oh my God. This is going to drive me nuts. And it's going to be like at the
1: end of the podcast, like after the whole credits, it's going to like just suddenly hit. But I digress. So that's like the layer of how a normal CPU is cooled. A
0: GPU, you literally just have the die, which is massive. By the way, A a GPU die is huge. And then you just got your thermal interface material, and then it connects directly to either the air cooler on the card or the GPU water block. What TSMC is proposing
1: is actually having water channels built into the die itself and having the coolant. Flow through the die to cool it. That sounds insane. That sounds absolutely insane that
0: that level of cooling might be necessary down the road. But then again, as talks about how 3D chip stacking may in fact be in our future... At the consumer level, you know, that might not be too far-fetched. All of a sudden, your office drone computers
1: may, in fact, need to be liquid-cooled. Which, again, just sounds like complete and utter insanity. But in the end, we're also starting
0: to look at how we measure CPU performance nowadays. The way we've been looking at things before is what's been referred to as performance per watt. How efficient per watt of power
1: a CPU is drawing, or a GPU for that fact, and how much performance you get per Watt that kind of way of looking at things is
0: being talked about, about being thrown away, but instead they want to instead look at how much performance
1: you get per watt of heat. You have to dissipate. This is what's being referred to as.
0: Kumi's law as far as how to measure computational efficiency. And the fact that more and more people are starting to look at the cooling element of this as being more important than the amount of performance you get per watt of power drawn really is saying quite a lot about what the future CPUs, both ARM-based CPUs and x86-based CPUs. I say CPUs, but I mean GPUs and any other compute module at all.
1: With no good way of transition, AMD Fidelity FX Super Resolution is now officially open source. Woo! Yeah, that's, that, that's it. It's officially open source. Maybe now
0: more games will actually use it. Fidelity's, uh, Fidelity FX Super Resolution, for those who don't know, is AMD's technology to render a game at a lower resolution and then upscale it to a higher resolution, in- improving performance while still giving
1: very similar look to. Rendering it natively at the higher resolution. Which, you
0: know, would have been nice for, say, making something like, oh, I don't know, a Switch Pro. But we just didn't get that at all. Now, did we? Nope. Not in the least with another way to not not switch gears at... Another way to just not be able to switch gears at all, and then I stumble over my own words. We now pretty much know everything about Samsung's Galaxy Unpacked lineup thanks to this leak, and it's pretty much everything we expected. We are expecting to see a Galaxy Z Fold 3, which is most likely going to be a... You know, another $2,000 folding phone that you shouldn't buy because no one has figured out how to make the screen more durable. And you will still cause permanent damage to it with your fingernail.
1: I just want to restate that on a folding screen, you can cause permanent damage to it with your fingernail. Should I restate that
0: again? You can cause permanent damage to a foldable screen with
1: your fingernail. Yeah. We also should be seeing the Galaxy Z Flip 3
0: which again is another folding phone. But this time, instead of it being, you know, a phone form factor that unfolds to a tablet size form factor, it is instead a flip phone styled,
1: where it's smaller than unfolds to being a normal sized phone. We have all, we're also expecting to see a Galaxy S21 FE, which is supposed to be
0: a affordable version of the Samsung Galaxy S21, because that's basically what Samsung's become now. They have become, hey, here's our flagship phone. Oh, by the way, it makes Apple's phones price-wise seem reasonable. So we should be seeing an
1: affordable version of the Galaxy S21, which by the way, at this point is almost six months old. We should be seeing an updated Galaxy Watch 4 and Galaxy Watch 4 Classic, as well as next generation Galaxy earbuds. Neat. So we can expect all of that out of Samsung very, very soon.
0: And then we're going to we're gonna cover this last story here before the break, and then I swear we will get to... Actually, do I have two stories? No, I have two more stories here. I have two more stories here, then we'll take a break, and then we'll get to the stuff you've all come here for. TikTok! I just read the first one I saw, and it was the wrong one. YouTube Shorts expands its beta into over 100 more companies. YouTube Shorts, for those that don't know, is YouTube's attempt to connect to compete with TikTok, except without trying to harvest your phone for its Mac addresses. Which, by the way, I want to remind you that TikTok has tried
1: to harvest your phone. For your Mac address. I know everyone's just saying, "Hey, TikTok's the new hot place to be." You
0: want if you 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 influencer types, you want to go ahead, you want to advertise, you need to get your butts over to the of the TikToks and do the TikTok stuffs. It's
1: like, yeah, that's that's great and all. I understand that. If I may present my rebuttal, TikTok has tried to harvest so much information that it shouldn't. That actually
0: made Google go, now wait here just a darn minute. But I digress. The U- YouTube shorts expand over 100 countries. It is the vertical video format in which your video must be, in fact, under one minute. But that being said, TikTok allows your video to be up to two minutes. So TikTok's trying to make stuff longer. YouTube's still restricting you to a minute. Wonderful. And finally, before we get to the break, Netflix
1: is planning to offer video games. Did I say companies? 100
0: countries. YouTube shorts expanding to 100 countries. Chat is saying, I said companies.
1: Countries, companies, it's all the same bloody thing. It's not, by the way. There's a drastic difference.
0: YouTube Short is moving into 100 different countries, including Latin America, Canada,
1: the UK, and so on and so forth. So, just to reiterate YouTube Shorts expanding to 100 countries. Not companies, countries,
0: before I get my inbox flooded with, you said 100 companies, how
1: many people are in there? Shush you. And then someone just added to the quote database 100
0: companies without saying who said that or anything. So out of context, it means literally nothing. Good job. Netflix plans to offer video games in their attempt to push beyond films and TV. Raise a hand real quick. Who here still has a Netflix account? Let me rephrase that. Who
1: still has an active Netflix account? We actually do have a handful. Here's the thing I have with Netflix right now. Netflix is in a weird spot. Because so,
0: so many other companies, first off, are trying to do what Netflix is doing. But Netflix is also just having a hard time maintaining a library every month. It seems like some shows are going, other shows are joining on and the lineup
1: is just constantly changing and it's always, almost always older content that's shifting in and out. That being said, I do know Netflix does have
0: a bunch of original shows and that's where they put all their eggs in the basket was making original content. And in fact, I've heard a lot of good things about some of the original content they've made. House of Cards is one in particular I have heard over and over and over and over and over again that I absolutely need to go and watch by various people.
1: To which I have said, have you seen my schedule? When the heck am I going to go ahead and binge watch a show on Netflix? During the 15 minutes of free time I have each
0: day? It's actually a little more than that. <laughs> but I digress. So Netflix is trying to figure out where to go next, and they have determined video games. Now,
1: they have in fact hired people from Facebook and Electronic Arts to lead this Gaming effort. Now, the EA, the, the EA guy gives me some concerns. But the fact that someone from Facebook's being brought onto this, I think, tells us
0: everything we need to know. A few years back, Netflix launched a very special episode of, I believe it was called The Black Mirror, which is an ongoing series they've had. But that particular episode was exclusive to only Netflix solely because you as the viewer interacted with it.
1: It was basically a choose-your-own-adventure Movie, And it was very meta about it, by the way. I have a feeling
0: that Netflix's push into video games is going to be more content very similar to that. Something more akin to, like, a visual novel sort of experience, but blended in with a more cinematic type environment. That is what I think is going to be happening. I don't think we're going to see like a call, uh, call of duty clone come to Netflix or anything like that. I have a feeling it's going to be more focused on something closer to a movie experience, but still a level of interactivity. We're going to take a break here when we come back. Yes. We're going to talk about the steam deck Yes, we're going to talk about Elgato and all the things they launched, and you can go ahead and keep count of how many times I mistakenly say Steam Deck instead of Stream Deck and vice versa, because I guarantee you it's going to happen at least once. (laughs) Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. Here's what I love about about Thursday, all right? Elgato spent almost a month trying to build up as much hype as they possibly could for their... Thursday event. All right. And I mean, they, they worked their butts off to try and generate as much fricking hype as they could to the point where I thought it had to be something more than just hardware. By the way, my second guess was correct. They did in fact launch a camera. We'll get into that later, but they were building up so much hype that it seemed like they were going to be doing more than just releasing some more hardware. And All of the hype they generated was
1: sucked out of the room by, of all people, Valve. Valve launched a handheld gaming device they have called the Steam Deck. The Steam Deck is in fact a it's
0: basically the Switch Pro it's what everyone wanted the Switch Pro to be except it is running Linux specifically it is, it is, it is running a version of Arch Linux that is being called SteamOS 3.0 now the thing is with gaming
1: on Linux it's actually much better than you would originally think There are plenty of tools within Linux now, and a lot of that actually thanks to Steam, where you can
0: basically get any Windows game to run on Linux and be able to play at basically the exact same sort of performance you'd expect from Windows. You might lose some here and there, and some games may have slipped through the, tr- through the cracks, but otherwise you'd be fine. But here's the thing. Valve is not restricting you as far as what you install in it. If you want to go out and just get a copy of Windows 10 or 11 and install it on it,
1: they're not stopping you. You have full access to the device. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, hey, look, I have a handheld Windows PC. With a USB port and a dock. Heck, it can basically be a portable computer. Just bring a keyboard and mouse. Done. But now, this form factor of device is not new.
0: We've actually seen this form factor done quite a few times. A company called, I believe it's. um. Oh, God, I'm now blank on the name. Of course, I'm blank on the name. Now I need to know what I'm blanking on it. I believe it's called uh,
1: GDP. Is the name of it? Nope, that wasn't it. GPD, not GDP. G- GPD has actually been making this style of form factor
0: quite a few times. They've made several different iterations, but the thing is that the GPD Because it's a small company, always had to go ahead and charge quite a premium for it because, well, they don't have the resources to mass produce devices like this and keep the cost low. And they've always been like Intel Atom powered or ultra low voltage core M series powered and that sort of thing. It's always been really restricted.
1: For the Steam Deck. listen to these specs we are we have a amd soc
0: or what amd refers to as an apu but it's a, it's an soc the cpu and the gpu are all in one package the cpu is a quad core eight thread processor ranging between 2.4 gigahertz and 3.5 gigahertz With an RDNA 2 GPU that is
1: Radeon 6000 series, by the way. And it has eight
0: of those RDNA 2 compute units on it. This makes it roughly 20% the capability of the desktop 6700 Radeon card. And it is rated at 1.6 teraflops of performance, which is a bad way to measure, but at least gives us something to work with. And the power draw of this APU is between 4 and 15 watts.
1: That's actually incredible. The fact that you have a very capable, not really too...
0: It's not a very beefy CPU, but a very practical CPU, and... A custom high-performance GPU does say a lot, but of course, you know, you say, oh, wow. That's not a whole lot of power. How the heck is it going to be able to fulfill the promise of playing AAA games? You want to know where the magic is?
1: Here's the magic. Let me tell you a secret. The magic of this device is in the screen. I'm not even kidding. That is the magic of this device. This screen. The screen. Is 7 inches. 60 hertz refresh rate. It is a capacitive touch screen. IPS LCD screen. That is 1280 by 800. That sounds terrible. Exactly. That's the point. It's 720p gaming. You don't need a crazy overpowered GPU
0: to do 720p gaming. You don't need to suck. 100 watts of GPU performance to do 720p gaming.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. It'd be great to do 1080p or 4K gaming. But it's 7 inches. You're never going to notice. This freaking phone here has a 4K display. Do you notice? No! But to do 1080p, it takes close to four times more horsepower. And the fact you're only doing
0: 60 hertz max means that if you're struggling, you can always just go to 30 frames per second and save yourself more power.
1: That is the whole point now? One other thing to point out: the models. There are three models of this. For three ninety
0: nine, you basically the only thing that changes the storage. By the way, three ninety nine. That's the base price is 64 gigabytes of emmc storage that is some hot garbage storage by the way not because of 64 gigs but emmc ssds are awful if you've ever messed with one you will find out that it has roughly the exact same read and write speeds as a standard hard drive the biggest advantage that EMMC has is the fact that it is flash-based and is better for
1: portability. But other than that, it is terrible. The next model up for 529 you get a 256 gig NVMe SSD.
0: And then at the highest price, which I already forgot,
1: and I think that information is not even on my... Spec list, it is not. The highest end model for 649 gives you 512
0: gigabytes of NVMe SSD, but it says that it is fastest storage. So there's probably a faster controller on there. But here's the best part if you are a tinkerer like me, this detail is super important. All models use a socketed 2230 M.2 module, not intended for end user replacement. So if you're brave enough, if you have the screws, you have the screwdrivers, you can go in there. You can just get the base 64 gig model and pop in whatever SSD you want.
1: On top of that, All models include a micro SD card slot. All of a sudden that $400 model is not bad. Now. The only other problem here is the battery life. It is being
0: estimated anywhere from two to eight hours of gameplay battery life. It has only a 40 watt hour battery, but it does charge via USB type C. So if you do carry portable batteries,
1: you can charge it on the go. And it is rated for 45 watt charging. The other problem with it is that it is heavy. It is approximately 669 grams, nice. So, I mean, you're talking roughly double the weight of the Nintendo Switch. But as far as flexibility, versatility, and tinkerability, this is really,
0: really good. Especially when you compare it to things like the GPD. And you see, oh, hey, look, here's one for...
1: $1300 or
0: $730 Or oh hey here's one that's apparently latest hardware and stable update Oh wait no it's running android never mind
1: This is not the most updated version this one looks ancient Yeah, no, this, one, this one's a lie. This one's like 10 years old. <laughs> it's running Andro- Android
0: Nougat? Ooh, I don't trust it. This one right here looks like the newest one, the, the GPD Win
1: 2. And that one ships for over a 1,000. But it does have a sliding keyboard. That is one thing the GPD has going for it over the Switch unit, or over this one. The
0: GPD Win 3 is the latest model. That's what I thought too, and that one is selling for, on Amazon at least, for $1,139.
1: You compare that to the Steam Deck, and you have just... It's $400 for it. $400 for a tinkerable device. Although a lot of people on Twitter have been saying it's overpriced. To those same people, I ask you. Would you like to purchase a small laptop with an AMD processor? That has,
0: discrete, that has a low-powered discrete GPU in it can get up to eight
1: hours of battery life under load for $400, and all you have to do is supply your own storage, because the one that's in there is bare basic. When you compare it to a PC, which it is, by the way, it's a no brainer. So the people who hope are hoping like, oh man, I really hope it was to be closer to a switch pricing. It's not a switch. It's a PC
0: pretending it's a switch. Zona chat asks, is there a dock? Yes, there is a USB-C dock. However, the, uh, what we're seeing for the dock, um, it looks
1: more akin to like a modern Thunderbolt dock. I'm trying to see if I can find a picture of it. Oh
0: no, it looks like it just sits on a stand and then it plugs in via the top, via the USB-C port on the top. I'm not a fan of that, but of it having to just sit in a dock and then plug into the top. But I mean,
1: oh, darn. I'm also not sure about the uh, placement of the joysticks and the uh, buttons. That seems a little high to me. The dual trackpads, I'm kind of curious how that's going to work out.
0: But we'll see. We shall see. I'm very curious about the teardown. I personally am not going to reserve one. Uh, I will wait until I see the teardowns and wait and see what the performance looks like on this custom. And I want to stress that a custom AMD SoC. But it does look very, very attractive to me. As someone who loves to tinker with PCs. The fact that it does have... The, and I, I don't want to stress that. That actually is a big point. To anyone looking at what are they going to do with the future of this thing. Because originally, when I saw this thing, I would say, you know, that $400 model? That's dead to me. Because that storage, once more and more games just start relying on the SSD for drawing resources and to reduce load times... That's it. That's going to be the death knell of that thing. You're going to need to go NVMe. The fact you
1: can just go in and it uses a standard M.2 slot to just upgrade the SSD. Oh, well. Frickin' you're set! Just get the cheapest version, go br- get, bring your own SSD, Freaking load up two terabytes, and you're done.
0: And of course you have an SD card, but I mean, you really shouldn't play games off the... Off the SD card SD cards, no matter how big they are, uh, they, they always perform slow. And if more and more things use the SSD to store store or to store assets, as opposed to loading them in
1: Ram, like they are on consoles now, it's going to be a, it's going to be a performance bottleneck. So meanwhile, by the way, the steam deck was announced. Two hours before Elgato's event.
0: The overall majority of the gaming community completely forgot that Elgato was going to announce anything. Despite the fact that Elgato, not even kidding, spent almost a month trying to build up hype for their event. And if you're watching this live at twitch.tv slash Falcon, you can see I have a large section of Elgato logos in my tab. They actually did announce quite a bit. But first, I just want to say, I have never seen
1: a virtual announcement event as terrible as Elgato's. That was awful it actually made me wish Apple was announcing something
0: just so I could cleanse the palate. I I would take some Apple propaganda to wash out the absolute disrespect Elgato had for their viewers' time. So they spend a month building up this hype, right? They then give us a countdown to when the event is going to be. And then at the time that the event's going to be, they instead then opt to use YouTube's premiere system, which then gives
1: another countdown of two minutes. Okay, fine. It's now two minutes
0: after the start time. What happens after the countdown finishes? There is another
1: countdown! You have three countdowns in a row
0: from Elgato for what they announced. And then, of course, the first 10 minutes of the event is just them patting themselves on the back and self gratifying themselves about how industry leading they are for
1: the streaming industry. And it's like, open your. Do something! Wasted so much of our time. And in the end, you know what they announced? I'll tell you what they announced.
0: An XLR interface that allows their USB microphone software
1: to work with an XLR mic. and a webcam. That's it. Now granted, the XLR interface is just it's for a very specific kind of user. For in, in the
0: case of my own production here, it absolutely is not going to replace my own mixer. It's not going to replace the overall majority of most professional streamers' audio devices. This is intended for the average user trying to get into the game that is, tr- that is contemplating upgrading from
1: their Elgato wave mic, and just already love the software. Because the software, in the end, what it does is that it has a limiter
0: so that it'll just put a hard cut on the volume it takes so that you don't clip your mic.
1: And also give virtual channels. Virtual channels. I want to stress this. One of the main reasons
0: to go with an XLR mic, however, is the power the mixer gives you the power of EQ,
1: the power of DSing, the power of compression. None of those things are in the Wave XLR. And the Wave XLR costs $160. It puts it in a very weird spot. Because all it is is a preamp and a DAC. That's it. Granted.
0: It is a pretty good preamp because on paper, it can, in fact, even power some very gain-necessary mics like the Shure SM7B. The Shure SM7B requires almost 60 decibels of gain in order for the audio to be audible at all. It's to the point where a lot of people actually use what's called a cloud lifter on a mic like that. To boost it even higher. The Wave XLR can power that. Although I'll be perfectly honest. You really shouldn't be using a Shure SM7B. There's much better and cheaper. Or I wouldn't say better.
1: There's equally as good options that are cheaper. Nowadays anyway. But in the end I look at the Wave XLR, And it's very hard for me
0: to. I always try to put myself in the shoes of whoever it's intended for.
1: It's hard for me to recommend this product to anyone. Because in the end, if you're in the market for something like this, I would just recommend go get a Scarlet Solo for $60 less and make your channels in OBS instead. Gives yourself way more control that way, rather than being bound to the
0: Elgato software. And then gives you the flexibility down the road of just saying, hey, you know, I want to go up to something more professional. Well, you still have the interface there in the OBS, and it's not too hard to switch
1: over. I just don't see who this product is for. But everyone is hyping this thing up. Oh, my God. Oh, God, I'll do it again. Oh, God, it's so great. Oh, my God.
0: Well. It's. Worse than a Go XLR
1: Mini, but it's also cheaper than a Go XLR Mini. But in the end, it changes almost nothing. That's where I stand on the Wave XLR. And then Elgato announced a mic arm. In fact, they announced two mic arms, which look. Actually, now that I'm looking at the close-ups of these, these look like very plasticky mic arms. Ooh. It's either a matte-finished metal... mic arm
0: that's meant to look like Rhodes high-end mic arms with a cable management channel in it. Or it's a plastic version of that. I just... Oh, man. But these, in the end... These are priced actually reasonably. They have two different mic arms. One's high profile, one's low profile. They have, a, they have a cable channel in them, so you can channel your USB cable or XLR cable through them very easily, and it looks very nice and clean. And those are priced at $100. Which, honestly, for a high-end mic arm, it makes sense. I paid about $100 for my Rode mic arm. But I'll be perfectly honest. I trust Rode to make a mic arm more than I trust Elgato, because Rode's been doing this for since 19 always, whereas Elgato has been doing this since Thursday.
1: They also made one that has a low-profile mic arm which uh I don't know who that's for. I I I who actually wants a low profile mic arm? I I don't I just mm, I don't know. I
0: just feel like a mic arm like that is going to definitely definitely get in the way. But that is also a
1: hundred dollars. So yeah, two mic arms, hundred dollars. I would rather trust Rode or
0: anyone else. And then of course we get to the only thing that I'm actually legitimately curious about in the entire announcement. And that is the Elgato face cam Elgato basically went ahead and did the one thing we've been begging, underlying begging Logitech to do
1: for the last four years. All we've wanted from the webcam makers
0: is to, is say, Hey, webcam makers, you see how there's a camera in the back of this phone.
1: You see how that camera is good. Put this in a webcam. That's all we wanted. Well, two, two companies have
0: now done that. One is Avermedia and they charge $350 for it which is a big yikes. And now Elgato has done exactly that. They have put a Sony sensor in a 1080p60 webcam, and it is a chonky webcam. It is a big, big webcam. Like, I can't stress enough about how big the, how, about how physically big the webcam is, which,
1: by the way, is fine. Bigger webcam means bigger sensor, which means better image quality. The other big important thing is that it has onboard processing. This means that your computer
0: is going to be doing less of the image processing. It's all going to be done on the camera and then sent straight through. And yes, Elgato went ahead and whipped up some software so you can control the fine details of this camera. Now, if you've already got, like, say, a cam link and a a DSLR,
1: a mirrorless camera, this is not going to produce better image quality than that. Of course not. But, you know, if you're looking to
0: upgrade from, say, what I've got right now, which is a Logitech hot piece of garbage, you know, it's a. Pretty attractive
1: option. This camera is going to cost $200, however. Which is not cheap. And people have been trying
0: to... There's been actually a lot of people trying to say that Elgato is just hilariously overpriced and everything. And I think that's just people who look at how much they charge for their key lights, which is a lot, by the way. And just assume everything's overpriced. You, compare this to... The Brio. The Logitech Brio is $150 and terrible image quality by comparison. The same thing with the Logitech StreamCam, $150, terrible quality by, by comparison. The only other camera it comes pretty close to
1: that's not a captureable one is the Avermedia Alphabet Soup one, that, which costs $350. The only other solution then that would come close to competing with
0: this as far as price wise and quality is, say, a capture card for
1: $100, a used GoPro, and then all the mounting hardware to mount the GoPro. That's going to get pretty close to $200 as well. So the Elgato face cam, quite possibly the only thing that was announced that people
0: mostly care about. Elgato also announced a new version of the Stream Deck, the Stream Deck Mark II, which has customizable faceplates and a new stand that I have a love-hate relationship with. It is first off a non-adjustable stand, which, say what you want about the flimsy previous Gen 1 stand that's just...
1: Ugh. I get it. It's not a great stand. But you know what the stand does? It lets me adjust. It's an adjustable stand. I can decide what angle my stream deck is at. The new Gen 2 one. It is a non-adjustable stand. But the cable can be replaced. So, yay? Also, the faceplates can be changed. So, also, yay? The hardware, though, appears to be exactly
0: the same. No new features or anything, it's just redesigned. And that costs, the same as the old one, $150. Nameplates cost $10 each. They also announced uh, light strip extenders, which are just, you know, they're light strips. They're they're light strips. What do you want? Elgato did, however, with the light strips, did make them so that they don't flicker, which is important on the camera. Non-flickering lights, which is nice. I can't find a price for the extenders, but the regular light strips are $60. I imagine the extenders
1: are as well. And finally, they announced a wall mount for your gear, which, yay? I actually have no idea how much the wall mount is. Wall mount's $30. Shrug. It it is what it is. I mean, the announcement definitely did not live up to the hype. Like,
0: Elgato was trying to hype up this whole event, trying to make it seem... Like, I thought they were legitimately going to announce their own freaking content creation platform the amount
1: they were hyping it up. Why else did you hype up this much? No, it's... It's a webcam. But back to the WaveXLR... I just want to point out one thing as far as the amount of advertising they did
0: or the amount of features they tried to say how much their WaveXLR is revolutionary.
1: Access to our powerful Wavelink software
0: up to 75 decibels of ultra-low noise gain 48-volt phantom power. And capacitive mute zero latency audio and more. All of this can be found by almost a hundred dollars less
1: using any other entry level XLR interface. I'm just saying. Elgato is definitely trying to become the Apple. Of uh,
0: streaming gear. Because in the end. Much like Apple. Elgato's strength is not their hardware. It is their software. Just like in the case of Apple. Apple's strength is not their hardware. Their strength is in how simple their hardware looks. And... Their software
1: and how well everything just works together. In the end, just like with Apple, there are better options out there. You just need to find them. I still can't believe a month of building a pipe. And it took, all it took was Valve launching a small PC disguised as a Nintendo Switch to completely and utterly
0: suck all the air out of the room. I'm not even kidding. Most of the sources I go to for stories didn't. Even touch Elgato's announcements. That is how much
1: Valve sucked the air out of Elgato's announcements. It is stunning.
0: We're gonna take a break here, and we come back. There actually are a couple of Apple stuff to to talk about, as well as some very very fascinating little weird stories, including AI learning to cheat. Against its human masters. back eagle eyes on tech i'm eagle falcon during the break uh uh uh, chat was trying to contemplate what what they could have called what they could have called the steam deck instead of the steam deck because honestly the steam deck and stream deck i still can't believe i didn't mix up the two names as far as we could tell throughout the entire thing but man it's gonna happen eventually right we've seen some people on the internet call it the gabe gear One person in chat says they should have just called it Half-Life 3 since they're never going to release
1: it anyway. Ooh. Ooh. Meanwhile, over in the Apple corner of the world,
0: Apple has released a new device silently, which is about as useful as Elgato's XLR interface. Except Apple just didn't hype it up for a month straight. It is a a MagSafe $99 battery pack. It attaches
1: magnetically to the back of the iPhone 12, and it will charge your iPhone 12 while it's attached. It'll just do it very, very slowly. It'll charge it at roughly five watts. Which the iPhone now, under load, consumes more
0: than that would actually charge. If you plug in the battery pack and then charge it through the battery pack, it'll then charge at 15 watts. Or you
1: could just plug in the phone directly and get more than 15 watts. Um... Okay, look, I, I know that, um, when it comes to Apple accessories,
0: I am not the I am not truly enlightened when it comes to Apple. I unfortunately still use my brain when it comes to figuring out the usefulness of Apple accessories.
1: So, forgive my ignorance. But what the heck is the point? This just seems like complete hot garbage. Especially since I am
0: willing to bet my battery brand of choice.
1: Probably sells this exact same thing already. For cheaper. Oh yeah, sure enough. $35 $35 for 10 times more battery. Anchor wireless pow- power bank, 10,000 milliamp
0: port- portable charger, U- USB-C in- input compatible with I- iPhone 12, mi- mini pro, mini pro, pro max, and a bunch of others
1: for $36. Well, then. Unfortunately, this one is only restricted to uh, five watts via wireless. Oh, this one's actually really old. It's outdated. The the outdated charger from Anchor is better than the one that Apple just released. Oh, never mind. Here's the more modern version. 10 watt wireless charging on the go. $50. And also wireless and magnetic. Good job. Good job, Apple. You have been outdone by someone who has done this before you. Oh, and it has up to 18 watt uh,
0: USB-C power delivery too. Just in case you want a bit more flexibility.
1: You know, which would do this
0: crazy thing called make sense. I'm sure Anchor probably even has one that's even better, because An- Anchor's just great like that. I, I have two of the, um, I have I have two of the high end
1: banks, and it's just fan frickin' tastic. Oh, yep, here's another that actually, that's actually smaller, intended for just
0: the iPhone 12 using the MagSafe connectors
1: and has more battery, 5,000 milliamps and is smaller than Apple's and is 10 watt charging. So good job, Apple. It's all, you have released an obsolete product.
0: It is cheaper, too. Yes. The Apple device is $99. The the anchor magnetic wireless portable charger power core magnetic 5K wireless 5000 milliamp power bank with USB-C cable designed for iPhone 12, 12 Pro, 12 Pro Max and 12 mini. (gasps) It needs a shorter name, by the way,
1: is $46 with free shipping. You can't hear it, but I'm slow clapping. Good job.
0: Good job. And the Anchor one's out now, whereas the Apple one is not going to be out until this podcast is live.
1: Now, that being said, though, Apple is totally for
0: real this time going to redesign the iPad mini. We super duper
1: swearzies, According to... Bloomberg analyst, Mark Gurman. All right. You know what Mark Gurman's doing right now? Mark Gurman is stealing my
0: strategy. I said, pretty much since the dawn of Of Eagle Eyes on Tech. The dawn of this podcast. In all seven years I've been doing this podcast. Or is it six? I've lost count now. But
1: the point is... I said from the get-go, when they started doing this...
0: When they did, like, the iPhone C and the regular iPhone... With the iPhone 5. They should have just called the plastic one the iPhone and what they called the iPhone, now the iPhone Pro. And I said that year after year after year. If you want to go ahead and make a cheaper iPhone, just make that the normal iPhone and then make a pro version called the iPhone Pro. That would have made the most sense. And I said it year after year after year, and eventually I was going to get it right because it was the most obvious thing in the world. Lo and behold,
1: eventually I was right because it was the most obvious decision in the world. Just make the higher-end version, call it the Pro, because it's the exact same thing you did to the MacBook line. I just didn't predict they'd throw Macs at the end and make it a giant word salad. Though nowhere near
0: as bad of a word salad as Anchor Magnetic Wireless Portable Charger Comma Power Cord Magnetic 5K Wireless 5000mAh Power Bank with USB-C Cable Designed for iPhone, iPhone iPhone 12, iPhone 12 Pro, iPhone 12 Pro Max And iPhone 12 Mini
1: (gasps) That is a word salad. But once again, he is predicting a iPad mini
0: that is going to have thinner bezels and take a more look to the current iPad pros and iPad air to which I say, no, it's going to happen. Eventually it's just a matter of whether it's this year, the next year or the year after that, it's going to happen. Eventually it's the exact same fricking strategy. Because clearly the move they made with the iPad Air is saying, you know what? We're going to stick with this design. And the iPad mini is so overdue for an update. You want to th- Two things are going to happen. Either A, the iPad mini gets this redesign. Or B, the
1: iPad mini dies. It's, it's going to be one or the other.
0: So I'm not going to go ahead and give credit to this analyst. Un- unlike I know everyone else is going to do. is like, wow, that Bloomberg guy got it right. Of course he got it right.
1: It'd be like me saying, dude, it's going to snow in winter. Whoa, bold predictions. Apple is working on a pay later feature for Apple pay. According to reports. Wow, who would have thought Apple made a a credit card. Now they're going to give you an option to pay it later. Why is this a headline? This this is just kind of one of those moments where it's just like, really? That's slow of a news day on July 13th. But yet, here we are. We talked about it. I'm,
0: I'm sure everyone will, t- will say it's revolutionary once Apple does it. Just like how Apple invented the phone in 2009. Before then, we didn't have phones at all, by the way. No one had phones before the iPhone. Just like no one had tablets before the iPad. And no one had watches before the iWatch. The Amazon Echo device, also known as the AXA. Insert missing letter there is going to be featuring two new or uh,
1: yeah, actually two new celebrity voices with Shaq and Melissa McCarthy.
0: Someone in chat reminded us that in fact, nothing had rounded corners until Apple came along. It's true. Nothing had rounded corners ever. Nothing was ever made of white plastic either until Apple came along. Nothing was ever made
1: of aluminum either until Apple came along. Always remember that. Always remember that. But the Echo system now features Shaq and
0: and Melissa McCarthy, but only for certain commands. It's very similar to the Kind of celebrity voice
1: of uh ooh, oh god i am bl- I am blanking on names today uh Samuel Jackson is going to be very similar to that where he, where it's only a handful of commands,
0: but not the entire device responding in the celebrity voice, so neat but not amazing. Kind of like how you can win two seats on one of the first Virgin Galactic flights to space. Virgin Galactic is off is is giving away some seats to their to their com- to their commercial tourist trip into space.
1: So you can just experience weightlessness and all that jazz, I guess. The
0: giveaway closes September 1st and the winners are announced at September 29th. It just takes them 28 days to figure out who is worthy. But while we all figure out how to get free tickets to space,
1: here on Earth, AI has figured out a way to cheat. In Call of Duty. Chat says who is worthy it by, by who is the rich. I mean, it's, a, it's free. So, I mean... On paper, at least, net worth shouldn't matter.
0: Because it is, of course, giving away free trips. Or free...
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, that'd be the return free trip into space TM. So, yay. The only thing that's actually kind of confusing now that I look at it is in the fine prints enter to win. A winner is drawn and donations benefit a greater cause. Oh. You have to donate for entries. 100 entries for $10, 250 entries for $25, $50 for
0: 1,000 entries, and $100 for 2,000 entries. You can apparently enter without donating anything, which I am trying to do right now. But it's asking me to go and select airplanes
1: in a CAPTCHA. And select more airplanes as I'm helping the AI figure out how to cheat better. You can enter for free. There is a way to do it. I don't know. I would love to see one of the people that entered that giveaway for free. That didn't pay a single dollar. End up getting in. I think that would be amazing. Personally, the, the whole... Casual trip into space sort of thing is just... I don't know. It just doesn't interest me nearly as much. It's just, eh. I'll, I'll, I'll wait until after the guinea pigs are done. Okay, thanks.
0: Meanwhile on Earth, AI is being used in a new cheat software for Call of Duty. The cheating software uses AI to predict enemy movements and then aimbot accordingly. And because it's using the AI... To aim accordingly, as opposed to just an aimbot that just picks the shortest line and travel there. That sort of thing is very easy to pick up as just in a fraction of a second, you just go bloop, it's there. But the AI element is making it much, much harder
1: to detect and much, much harder to beat. And then on top of that... Because the way the AI is running, it can run on a PC, but then just be wired into a console so that this cheat can actually even be used on the console versions of Call of Duty.
0: And that by far is the scariest part about this cheating software.
1: Because normally, when these sort of cheats are found and done, it's only on the PCs. Console playing is usually immune to it. The site is trying to be shut down, and at this point, I am fairly confident
0: that the website distributing this cheating software has already been shut down. Since, you know, it's, it's Ubisoft. Or not Ubisoft. Who runs Call of Duty? Activision. It says it right there in the title. I'm
1: blind. Activision, who have single-handedly killed Blizzard. Rest in peace.
0: Has most likely already shut it down because that's how good Activision is. Actually, speaking of
1: Activision, can I just talk for a brief moment? I know it's going to be like, Completely off topic. But the, there is an ongoing MMO war that is
0: brewing stronger and stronger right now
1: between Activision and Square Enix. More and more and more big name streamers have
0: been moving over to Final Fantasy XIV. Even some streamers who have never touched MMOs, like Summit, have been trying out Final
1: Fantasy XIV lately. And has gotten to the point where even the digital copies of Final Fantasy XIV sold out. While Blizzard still can't figure out what they did wrong with their last expansion.
0: And in fact, the reason, and chat's kind of laughing at me saying a war. Are you kidding? Square's already won. They haven't. Because for the longest time,
1: Blizzard and World of Warcraft still. Still has more active users
0: than Final Fantasy 14 until recently. Final Fantasy XIV has finally,
1: barely, overtaken World of Warcraft. So I would still argue the war is still ongoing between the two. I mean, when you have the digital copies selling out, for whatever reason, just wow. Just wow. Wow. That is incredible. Chat says the point is there's no real, real war. What we're seeing is an exodus. Um, I would disagree. Because in the end, while there isn't one that's within the
0: active player base... Especially since Final Fantasy XIV player base is
1: easily some of the chillest people out there. You know, unless you're a streamer that went ahead and said Final Fantasy XIV sucks, it's not for me, even
0: though they went ahead and self-boosted themselves and then skipped almost all the story and and all the mechanics it teaches you along the way and then complains that the game's terrible. Then those are fighting words.
1: The actual war itself is being fought by the developers. Constantly trying to
0: improve themselves, despite the fact that Blizzard continues to just fire their staff to
1: lower costs and not seeing the problem. Good job, Activision, by the way. the endwalker release for ff14 is going to be so messy
0: i had hope that it was going to be that i had a feeling I, I think that the launch of the next expansion for ff14 like day 1 was just going to be a giant glitch f- filled mess but then a couple days later it would it would stabilize Oh, God. I do not. I think it's going to be weeks. Now that we're seeing a massive
1: surge. Of players coming to FF14. That is my thought. Should I actually get back to the actual planned content? Maybe I should actually do that. You know, before we end up with a six hour long podcast. I actually wonder what my
0: limit is for how long I can make a podcast on Anchor. I don't think I have a limit. I could just make a six-hour-long podcast. I don't think anyone would listen to me for six hours, though. So instead, let's just talk about how Mario 64, a version of the game, sold for at auction for $1.5 million. All because... It was still in the security case that it was originally in, and of
1: course, still sealed. As far as we know, it was actually bought by a collector
0: and not bought by a massive troll who then went on to a lot onto a live feed and opened it in front of everyone
1: and cut open the box with a box cutter. That has not happened. But I would laugh and cry really hard if that did happen. Does it actually say who bought it? Or was that kept confidential? Confidential. It
0: was 9.8 A++ plus rating, mean that it was both in near-perfect condition and sealed
1: intact like new. It does not say who bought it, which is probably for the best. Yeah, it does not look like the BBC article says who bought it. Uh, Someone in chat says, uh, Pharma, bro. I have no idea. The point is, is that the copy did sell for... 1.5
0: million, which is now officially the new record. Oh,
1: Pharma Bro is the troll guy is basically the troll guy I just described. Okay, okay. I thought I made that up. What I didn't
0: make up though is that Cyberpunk 2077 was the highest selling digital PS4 game in June because it was now allowed. So everyone wanted to see just how much the bug-filled environment of Cyberpunk 2077 actually performed on the PlayStation
1: 4. And the consensus was... It was okay. That was about it. Oh, you're saying that it wasn't Pharma Bro that would go ahead,
0: buy it, and then put it into a sealed vault forever. Oh, okay, okay, okay. My misunderstanding for misunderstanding the thing. Okay, Cybertron 2077, highest selling digital game on PS4 in June. Meanwhile, I bring you to the last burb, the last story of the day, the weirdest story of the week where thousands of PS4 pros were being held hostage in Ukraine and allegedly used with stolen electricity to farm cryptocurrency. Ah, yes. The PS4 pros being used to farm cryptocurrency. This story actually kind of started peak or didn't peak, but it started rearing its head shortly after we recorded Eagle Eyes on Tech last week and we actually talked about quite a bit about how much work it would take to convert a PS4 Pro or or a PS4 or PS4 Pro for that fact into a crypto mining system and there was a couple of things that didn't make sense first off there are exploits to install other operating systems and various flavors of Linux on a PlayStation 4 but that would take a long time per PlayStation to do that. It's hard to justify doing that for what
1: essentially is a Radeon 7770.
0: The GPUs inside the PlayStation 4 are not all that high-end. The magic of a PS4 Pro is the fact you have optimized for that specific GPU. But in the end... You're not using a whole lot of power for much else. It's based a PlayStation or any game console. effect fact is basically a big graphic card. And a little bit of everything else just to make it function. The CPU's inside the Xbox one and the PlayStation four were terrible for that fact. Barely over a gigahertz eight cores just to power the game and the operating system. And that was pretty much it. So there was some logic to it. Uh, but then we had a follow-up to the story emerged towards the end of the week. This crypto farm
1: wasn't a crypto farm at all. It was being used to power bots that farmed out fully unlocked teams for FIFA. And all of a sudden it makes absolute perfect sense. Cuz it would take way too long to modify that many PlayStation's
0: with an alternate Operating system just to mine cryptocurrency he had a couple hashes on whatever the heck it'd be. There's no way those GPUs would have produced enough Ethereum to pay themselves off for the power. Of course, you're using stolen power. Was it mattered? But no. They're being used to farm FIFA
1: 21 accounts, and then sell them. So you have all. Of these PlayStations. All the inputs. Being thrown in. Through a computer. And basically just having them. Run through the campaign. Running through all the unlocks. Over. And over.
0: And over. And over again for various. Accounts.
1: And then selling. The FIFA accounts. So all of a sudden, hey, pay me a couple bucks and you have a fully unlocked account. I'm not going to lie. That probably
0: brings in a more stable income than trying to farm Ethereum. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Thank you so much for listening. And please, I do encourage you to check out my daily podcast, the Early Burb Briefing, which you can find wherever you found this podcast, or also at anchor.fm slash early burb B-I-R-B briefing. And check out my Twitch page, twitch.tv slash EagleFalcon. Take care, and I hope you have a great day. Bye-bye. Finding for FIFA is all fun is all fun and all, but really, what these Ukrainian PS4 guys should have done was just go ahead and bought Final Fantasy 14. I mean, get on the hype train, man! That has a much bigger mar- marketplace integrated heat spreader. Oh, that was killing me all day. It's the integrated heat spreader. That's the element that's that's between the CPU die and, and the and the actual cooler. Oh God. That was killing me all stream.